Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of my new podcast called Educated. If you are confused about the pun, Eid is a Muslim holiday, and it's combined with the word educated. And today, so today we are going to be talking about the topic of Muslim representation in the media. So my thesis for this podcast, which is what we're going to kind of surround what our discussion is today, is the common media portrayals of Muslims as violent and antagonistic, the promoted view of Islam as oppressive and evil, and the constant association of Muslims with terrorism and extremism in the media has caused Muslims to face hardships and prejudice in the current day. So what does Islamophobia look like in the current day? We're going to be talking about some statistics surrounding the Muslim experience in America and how Muslims experience Islamophobia. If you live in America or really in any other Western country, I think it's pretty clear to see that Muslims are often not portrayed or thought of in a very positive light. Though Islamophobia, which is the fear or prejudice against Muslim people in the West, was brought to the forefront during and after the bombing of the Twin Towers on September 11th, I think it began and developed much earlier and slower, um, for example, during the 1979 Iran-U.S. hostage crisis. I think it's very clear to see um, if you have lived in a lot of Western countries at all, like the kind of sense of responsibility that a lot of Muslim people had to take for 9-11 and for the actions of various Muslim terrorist groups. And over time, I think that, you know, the media and a lot of propaganda that has been pushed by America has definitely not helped us to feel any less feared or vilified. In two studies conducted in 2014 and 2017, Pew Research asked Americans of nine different religious groups to describe their feeling towards Muslims using a, quote, feeling thermometer. From zero, the coldest and most negative feelings, to 100, the warmest and most positive feeling. In 2014, Muslims were given an average rating of 40 degrees. However, in a similar study conducted in 2017, the average rating increased, so Muslims were given an average rating of 48 degrees. However, I think it's very interesting that the rating is not even halfway to positive, halfway to 100. I think this definitely speaks to the fact that there's still definitely some scorn that comes along with being Muslim in America. 53, over half of the percentage of Muslims in America believe that life as a Muslim was made harder after 9-11, and a large number of Muslims report being profiled in some way. 28%, 22%, and 21% of Muslims recount being looked at with suspicion, called derogatory slurs or names, and experienced being profiled at airport security, respectively. Overall, 52% of Muslims report that they believe the government targets specifically Muslims in their efforts to combat terrorism. On top of that, a quarter of Muslim Americans report that their mosque or Islamic center has been the target of hostility and controversy. As a Muslim person myself, I can definitely relate to the fact that there is a lot of stigma around mosques still, and there's still a lot of fear in attending religious events at mosques. 
I think there definitely is a sense of the building of the mosque being sort of a spectacle to people who aren't Muslim and being a spectacle just in general in the West. It's something so outwardly Muslim that, you know, usually in America, anything that seems foreign is meant to be hidden. That I think a lot of people look at mosques in a way of like, it's something that's there that's not supposed to be there, you know? Or at least something that people are not used to seeing, especially after 9-11, creating big displays of the Islamic religion is very frowned upon. Recently, So now the question lies, how does the world see Muslims? And why are Muslims treated in the way that I have described? So we're going to try and connect in this podcast the portrayal of Muslims in media to real-life violence and prejudice that they face. After 9-11, American Muslims were made to feel like outsiders in their own country. Movies like Homeland and Bodyguard, all with plots revolving around stopping and preventing counterterrorism, the subconscious theme of the supposed Muslim threat lurking in the background contributed to widespread anti-Muslim sentiments and spread misinformation about the diversity and vast experiences of Islam. Even more liberal news sources have promoted Islamophobic takes to their millions of viewers. For example, on the HBO talk show Real Time with Bill Maher, Maher once asserted that there was surely some link that connects all Muslims with the brutality and intolerance of terrorist groups like ISIS, and that, quote, the Quran absolutely has on every page stuff that's horrible about how the infidel should be treated, and his show continues to air. Spreading such misinformation about Islam, specifically about the Quran, which is a complex document that is not well understood by those who do not understand Arabic or do not dedicate their time to studying it deeply, can ingrain consumers with the idea that Islam is always somehow inherently connected to terror and extremism. The media has the responsibility to be truthful to the people it serves and to be respectful to the people who view it. A study by Pew Research in 2017 surveyed groups in America on whether or not they believed killing based on any social positions like religion or political affiliations is ever justifiable, and a majority of Muslims who were surveyed answered no. Despite this, the media produced about or including Muslims has been highly flawed and stereotypical, most often relating the Muslim identity to violence and brutality. Not only fictional media like television or series or movies, but in news reporting as well. Only one view of Muslims is portrayed in the media, violent, aggressive, dangerous, threatening. Media producers rarely include aspects of Muslim culture or honor the many achievements in the sciences or arts that Muslims have founded. They mostly focus on terrorism and extremism. This leads to a very singular view of Muslims in the eye of media consumers and trains consumers to hold a very harmful view of Muslims. Aside from traditional media sources like film, news, or television, in recent years, social media has been a large contributor to online hate towards Muslims. Ilhan Omar and Rashida Talib, the first Muslim congresswomen, were targeted by a Facebook ad campaign written by AIPAC, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, which painted both as dangerous terrorists and urged voters electing them into office would be anti-American. The ad read, 
quote, stand with America, stand against terrorists. For Ilhan Omar, there is no difference between America and the Taliban, between Israel and Hamas, between democracies and terrorists. Tell Rep. Omar, condemn terrorists, not America. Throughout their entire campaign, social media has been a breeding ground for Islamophobia, racist threats, and gross defamatory statements about the two based on their religious beliefs. In religious spaces, Islamophobia is rampant, and many groups who align themselves with the far right use disinformation and manipulative advertising tactics to spread their white nationalist values and entice others into accepting their beliefs, seemingly without consequences from social media corporations who prioritize engagement and profit over the well-being of minorities. A study published in 2021 investigated tweets made about Omar during her campaign and found that over half of those tweets use overtly Islamophobic or xenophobic language or other forms of hate speech. The study saw that a majority of traffic garnering tweets did not actually come from real accounts inviting Islamophobic conversations, but that most of the popularity that such tweets garnered came from what the researchers coined as amplifiers which are accounts that merely circulate and regurgitate original content from those real conservative accounts. These accounts can be bots that mimic human behavior online, but can also be real people that use fake identities to propagate Islamophobia in online spaces. Another strategy used by the far right in order to permeate Islamophobia into Western ideology are, quote, cloaked accounts, meaning that these right wing extremists would create accounts posing as radical Islamists, and post misinformation about falsified planned terrorist attacks or fake threats of Islamic takeover in order to prompt outrage against Muslims in the public. While Facebook eventually took down some of these accounts, in a study that researched the phenomenon of cloaked accounts, the creators generated new accounts under new aliases. The study witnessed that these accounts directly caused a rise in Islamophobic sentiments and comments in the area that they were created in, and resulted in widespread outrage against the Muslim communities of those regions, especially immigrant and refugee populations. The online presence of extremists have has grown in recent years. According to a study by J.M. Berger, a researcher who investigates extremism in America, from 2012 to 2016, the followers of white nationalists on Twitter skyrocketed 600%. Despite this, social media companies are less likely to target and regulate content and accounts made by right-wing extremists, which inevitably gives those people a free pass to continue spreading prejudice and misinformation. As a Muslim in online spaces, I have personally witnessed a lot of this. Social media, especially on memorials of events like 9-11, are rampant with the most Islamophobic content that I've ever seen. People who are totally miseducated on what Islam is and what Islam teaches its followers will assert wholeheartedly that they believe that Islam is a religion of violence and it is naturally violent. <laughs> they will so casually, I guess, throw around that they feel like Muslims are the oppressors when in reality my experience living here as a Muslim has kind of been the exact opposite. On those days, there's a certain level of fear, I think, that, you know, someone might say something to you, or someone might 
make you feel bad about something that you didn't do and something that you don't stand for as a person and it's such an othering experience that makes you feel that you will never fully be accepted in the place that you exist logging onto social media on those days you can only expect harassment as somebody who is openly muslim news coverage also tends to perpetuate islamophobic tropes and segregate Muslims to only topics of violence and terror. Recently, I read a study by the Media Portrayals of Minorities Project that reported 2018 newspaper coverage of five different American minority groups, including African Americans, Asian Americans, Latinos, Jewish people, and Muslims. A survey comparing mentions of these six different minority groups from four different national newspapers found that most, over 9,000 of those articles mentioned Muslims at least once. And according to the study, the average tone of these articles was recorded as being, quote, strongly negative, a notably different and more cynical average tone from the other five groups. Analyzing these articles, the study found that Muslims had the least articles about culture and education, topics that were usually associated with being more positive, and the highest number of articles about politics and law and order, topics most commonly negative. With events such as the 2015 Paris terrorist attacks, President Trump's Muslim ban, the exacerbation of both the Syrian refugee crisis and the conflict and devastation in Palestine, and the Taliban's response to increased troops in Afghanistan, it is interesting to note that there has been a significant increase in articles mentioning Muslims since 2015. 92% of the articles about Muslims were in regard to or mentioning foreign locations and countries, significantly higher a percentage of any other group, despite Jewish people being another group that have populations outside of the U.S. This focus on international affairs and domestic media coverage of Muslims leads to most articles in regards to Muslims being negative. As usually, articles covering non-domestic events will most likely be focused on conflict, violence, and turmoil. And because rarely any, only 2% of the investigated articles mentioned or covered Islamophobia or any other broad anti-Muslim sentiment, these violent stories that center Muslims or Islam tend to reinforce a perception that there is a correlation between Islam and violence. The lack of articles mentioning any other aspect of Islam besides violence and tragedy, such as articles about culture, education, or economics, separates and segregates Muslims from American society and Western society at large. In my personal belief, it's very dehumanizing to Muslim people to reduce them to just conflict and just merely political turmoil. And I think it's very calculated, this widespread dehumanization in media, the removal of Muslim people from anything human or expressive. It's what allows America and Western countries to get away with dehumanizing and killing and abusing people overseas in the Middle East and other majority Islamic countries. If you tell the people at home that the people over there, the people who are foreign are not human or are not equally human to us, when you treat those people as subservient, no one domestically is really going to care. In another study conducted by the University of Alabama, they studied how America's emphasis on national security through the vilification of Muslims is what causes more attention and concern to be put on Muslim terrorist attacks as opposed to others. 
The study highlights the fact that terrorist attacks by Muslim perpetrators receive 350% more media coverage than those with non-Muslim offenders. It's very unusual growing up, like, seeing white people committing atrocities like mass shootings and be treated by the media with such compassion and care, while with Muslim perpetrators of mass violence, them being Muslim is the center of their actions. It's always the first thing that's spoken about. And since there's so little education about Islamophobia in the media, it lets hate crimes and prejudices and injustices slip under the rug. Media portrayals of Muslims rarely treat us like human beings. The concept of human dignity implies that every person is inherently given respect because they are humans, regardless of race, gender, religion, sexuality, or any other social identifiers. Right now, in the media, Muslims are not given human dignity and are, for the most part, not treated with the same level of respect and dignity as most other characters. This is not only harmful to Muslim people, but distract detracts from the common good. The common good is a state of being that allows for all humans to live in an environment where they are able to flourish. In this case, Muslims, since we are given stereotypical roles and are painted in a bigoted light, are not able to live in such an environment that gives us the freedom to live without prejudice or discrimination. After the 2015 terrorist attack in Paris, Islamophobic hate crimes surged intensely and many of these attacks centered around Muslim women in particular. I think about a lot how unique the experience of being a Muslim woman is, especially while I don't wear a hijab, but being a hijabi woman or a woman who wears various other Islamic garb. Most media, including Muslim women, perpetuates two very contradictory views of them. A, as passive and oppressed, and B, as a cultural symbol of Islamic terror. Muslim women's very existences contradict the West's ideals of progressiveness, and their outward dedication through their various religious garbs to Islam threatens the West's, quote, perceived security. And I think there's a very unique experience here in being targeted both by Islamic and non-Islamic countries. Something that I personally have noticed is how Muslim women are kind of attacked by both sides of the political spectrum. I've seen very left-leaning progressive people who, you know, claim to be feminist criticize Muslim women for choosing to embrace modesty, as if they're in some way perpetuating their own oppression. But I've also seen very right-wing people criticize Muslim women. In my opinion, I think that those right-wing critics are very intimidated by the idea of such a grand display, if that's what you want to call it, of the Islamic faith. A lot of the time I've seen in liberal conversations or liberal discussions of Muslim women, our bodies are often the subjects of political division and debate in the name of creating gender equality. Many prominent progressive Western thinkers hold the belief that Muslim women are somehow enabled to be autonomous over their own thoughts and religious expression, and that they're somehow indoctrinated into modesty. And while I think that may be true, I don't 
think that it's appropriate to say that all women are somehow brainwashed by Islam and they don't actually want to be modest or participate in the Islamic faith. I personally know a lot of Muslim women who did not wear a hijab um, all throughout their childhood, but once they became adults, they felt more connected spiritually to being a Muslim, so they decided to wear a hijab. But they're demonized and criticized by both sides for doing so. I think it's very ironic because if someone who is Christian maybe never felt like going to church, let's say all of their childhood, and eventually when they grew up and became an adult, they thought, I like going to church, I like embracing my faith in this way. Nobody's going to criticize or ridicule them for that, but with Muslim women, it's a whole different story. Muslim women are often the targets of white saviorism, and a lot of American people feel a moral obligation to rescue or enlighten them from these perceived patriarchal structures of Islam that are confining them to these standards of modesty. And while I think those people might think that they're helping in some kind of way, I think at the root of it, they just kind of want to feed their own ego of feeling like they're helping somebody in distress. These stereotypes just isolate Muslim women for the, from the concepts of modernity, even implying that we're unintelligent or brainwashed. Hijab was even worn during the European colonial period as a sign of anti-colonial resistance, and thus we can see that Islamic garb can also become an object of cultural pride or ethno-religious identity. I remember one time I was in the store and I wasn't wearing a hijab, but it was a headscarf and me and my mom were going to the market after we went to the mosque. So we were wearing these headscarves and this woman, she says, oh honey, you don't have to wear those anymore. We're in America now. We are not sheep. We are not these robots that just listen to commands or something. We are people who are actively making a choice to do something. Investing in the diligence to a faith. And attacking Muslim women and forcing them to forego Islam is really not the best strategy for combating misogyny or patriarchy. Something like happened- hijab and Muslim women generally are some of the most misunderstood and ignored areas in the public perception of Islam. For many years, it has been a goal of governments around the globe to ensure that women are not allowed to wear their, their religious garments in public. In the UK Independent Party's manifesto, they write, quote, We will not accept those dehumanizing symbols of segregation and oppression, nor the security risks they pose. This deeply flawed misinterpretation of what these garments represent is not only threatening to religious freedom, but dangerous in that it promotes the social isolation of Muslim women and enables people to speak more openly against Islam. France has also had a similar piece of legislation passed, Law of 2010-1192, which prohibits Muslim women particularly from concealing their faces in public causing many of these women to have to stay home out of fear of the law, or even some to wear their garments anyway out of defiance of the discriminatory policy. 
A recent vote from France's Senate called for the ban of hijabs and other Islamic religious garbs for children below the age of 18 and, in later revisions of the legislation, even mothers who would accompany their children in school spaces in order to, quote, reduce French separatism. As French Muslim women vehemently resisted this, Muslim Americans joined in with prevalent figures like U.S. Olympic fencer Ittihaj Muhammad speaking out against this unjust regulation of Muslim women's bodies. A French social media uprising under the hashtag #PasToucherAmanHijab protested and brought awareness to this piece of religious freedom-restricting legislation and was soon followed by a similar movement standing in solidarity. Muslim American Democratic Representative Ihan Omar, a hijabi woman herself, posted a video with the translated hashtag HandsOffMyHijab, which reached virality, circulated on several social media platforms. I personally think it's very wonderful to see people taking a stand for Muslim women and especially Muslim women themselves standing up for themselves and being able to have a platform to do that because, I don't know, it's pretty uncommon. Such misinformation comes as a result of false and harmful media representation of Muslim women as being victims of Islam rather than willing and devoted participants of it. An example of such misinformation comes at the hands of the British press. In a research study conducted from 2015 to 2016, analysts found that British newspapers have the tendency to often portray Muslim women as only passive and submissive beings. No mention of Muslim women in the workforce, just spreading narratives of Muslim women needing to be, quote, liberated from Islam. This type of representation is humanizing and degrading for Muslim women and homogenizes an extremely diverse set of people made up by citizens of hundreds of different countries, cultures, histories, etc. down to one inaccurate experience. Not only that, but it separates us from the rest of society at large. The supposed inherent separation between Muslims and Western society is one that has been discussed in media and politics for decades. In the infamous 1997 essay, Clash of Civilizations, author Samuel P. Huntington argues that the West and Islam are fundamentally incompatible and that the values of either side are fully contradictory of one another, implying that Islam is intrinsically narrow-minded and archaic. The narrative that women are oppressed by Islam that pervaded the media at the time was used to justify colonization and war against, quote, terror, meaning majority Islamic countries in the Middle East. In 2002, Laura Bush claimed that, quote, because of our recent military gains in much of Afghanistan, women are no longer imprisoned in their homes. They can listen to music and teach their daughters without fear of punishment. The fight against terrorism is also a fight for the rights and dignity of women. In this way, though it is true that many radical terrorist organization groups oppress women, the West is able to use the supposed care for, quote, feminism and the bigoted idea that all Muslim people are inherently anti-feminist in order to maintain America's global dominance and the Western hegemony. Being able to proclaim that another country is less civilized gives Western countries the authority to be able to take control of and explo exploit those that are weaker than them. 
The trope of Muslim women needing to be freed from their religion is one that is common in media. In the Netflix series Elite, a Muslim character by the name of Nadia is shown as struggling against her ultra-conservative family on, and on multiple occasions is depicted doing things like drinking and engaging in premarital, premarital sex that Islam prohibits. In doing this act, she is depicted as being, quote, liberated from her restrictive religion and eventually she takes off her hijab for a white Christian man. Highlighting the struggles of women in a strict Islamic family is an interesting narrative when it is an authentic one rather than one that has been manufactured by corporations for profit and viewership. Also, this type of media has a tendency to portray Islam as only a struggle and almost never depicts Islam as something that can be freeing and healing as many narratives about Christianity in the media tend to do. Another example of this harmful trope, in the Netflix movie Cuties, widely criticized for its sexualization of children, a Muslim girl is shown wanting to be, quote, free from Islam by participating in a dance program where she and her group perform very suggestive moves in age-inappropriate outfits. This type of content merely reinforces the idea that Islam does not let women have any other freedom or interests outside of their religion. In most popular media, it seems as though Muslim women are not allowed to have or exist in the Western world unless they completely strip themselves of their religion. Finding authentic Muslim representation in general is tough, given modern media standards. Most programs on television or articles almost always relate Muslims and our identity with tragedy and violence. Of course, many tragic events have given rise to the phenomenon of Islamophobia, and that has a great deal to do with the Muslim experience. But to relegate Muslims to only the struggles we face or the quote, problem that we supposedly cause is dehumanizing. It is so important to just have Muslim people present and visible in media without always including some mention of terrorism or struggle. Muslim characters as leads in shows, Muslims that enjoy their life and celebrate their religion, and uplifting Muslims who have contributed to the arts and sciences are things that need to be portrayed and prioritized in the media over just hardship and brutality. It is so vital to give Muslims positive and non-stereotypical representation and uplifting visibility in order to encourage them to think of themselves as more than just what the world thinks of them. In conclusion, throughout this podcast, I have argued that the media has a negative impact on the perception of Muslim people in the world and thus enables society to at large to feel afraid and outraged at Muslims, causing prejudice and violence against Muslims to be a common experience in the West. The media and Western media producers have a very curated depiction of what they want to portray Muslims as. Often, this is subconscious and as a result of societal prejudices against Muslims, but this portrayal does not allow Muslims to have any other roles except the antagonist. This curated view does not allow Muslims to be individuals, but a collective group of oppression and terror. In order for societal perceptions to change, not only do our media habits need to change, but those behind the scenes. More Muslim media producers need to be involved with creating contents about Muslims, whether that be news co coverage of Muslim social issues, television programs with Muslim characters, or celebration of Muslim culture. More inclusion and diversity behind the scenes ensures that what appears on the screen isn't so rigid and singular. Thank you for listening.